All right, welcome everyone to the year that was dot 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 1997. I'm your host, Aaron Maxson, along with my co-host for the evening, my brother Nate. Hello, everybody, and I am calling in by phone like Lee Marshall, so. I'm going to hate you by the end of the night then. And I am also joined by Mr. Archie Mitchell. Archie will be joining us when he gets home. He's still at Target. <laughs> oh, I thought he was on the thing. No, he had to start the recording for us because my internet is screwed up, so I had to uh, get on my phone. Okay, well, I don't know how the internets work, so um, I don't fully understand what's going on with this show, but we're going to figure it out. Um, Just do it like normal. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll do it druggingly and incoherently then. Um, if you guys don't know what this show's about, or if um, this is your first time listening to it, what we're doing is we're chronologically going through um, the year of 1997 of professional wrestling with the major organizations, which at this point were WWF and WCW. We're discussing the Nitros and the Roller, the Rollers Wars, and also the pay per views. Um, so, uh, that being said, if you want to hear, um, our input and thoughts of the entire year, go to the beginning of it. Like, don't listen to this show, go all the way to the back, go all the way to go all the way back to, um, episode one and listen to that. Um, if you've been listening along, we just got out of um, WCW's last pay-per-view bash at the beach, and we are rolling into um, July 14th, 1997. So you ready for this, bro? Yep. All right. The first show we're going to discuss is WCW Nitro, like I said, from July 14th, 1997, and is emanating from Orlando, Florida. Um, the show opens, <clears throat> excuse me, the show opens with Mike, Michael Buffer doing his gimmick and have we discussed Michael Buffer? Yeah. On the show. Yeah. We've talked about Buffer. Yeah. Like I'm not going to hate on the guy. That dude made so much fucking money from a few words, from a few words being um aesthetically pleasing you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i don't think it's lame to say oh that's a good looking dude on tv you know what i mean so no hate on mark uh, on michael buffer but he's doing his gimmick he's bringing us into nitro and um he hypes the debut of the nitro girls and Kimberly then introduces um, the individual Nitro girls, and they dance. And they knew they knew uh, what they were doing. They knew the ex- Eric Bischoff knew exactly what he was doing with the Nitro girls. It was either like I was going to say it was either him or Kevin Sullivan, but this is, in my opinion 
probably not a Kevin Sullivan idea. This is an Eric Bischoff idea. Or Keith Mitchell. Yeah. It, it, it was totally a, a non... Why well, say it's not Sullivan's idea? It's totally a non-wrestling person's idea. And I mean, I mean, you know, it's it's the it's the principle of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. And they all look good. They all like their dances weren't great, but it's hot chicks dancing in front of an 18 to 49 year old male demographic crowd. So why wouldn't it work? Mm-hmm. So the Nitro girls dance and um, they, they show some of the crowd and it's like creepy guys, like looking at the Nitro girls and it's like, it proves it worked. Um, basically it kept the Nitro girls were invented to keep the crowd entertained during commercial breaks. And it was a great idea. Um, then Tony, Larry and Mike open up the show and then discuss bash at the beach, 1997 in the main event between the giant and between the giant and Lex Luger versus Dennis Rodman and Hulk Hogan. And they mention uh, the fake Sting getting involved. And at at this point, they don't mention that it was a seven-foot Sting. Like, they don't mention, oh, we don't think that Sting was like, how do I say it? They don't think it was the real Sting, but they don't mention the fact that they don't think it was the real Sting because he was fucking seven-foot and he stepped over the ropes. Right. It was stupid. Like, fake Kevin Nash Sting was worse than Halloween Havoc Barry Wyndham Sting. Oh, much worse. Much worse. That's terrible. Um, so, th- that's how they're opening up the show, is the speculation of Sting being involved in that Bash at the Beach match. And then our opening match is Prince Iakea versus uh, who I'm going to assume was Jim Barnett's favorite wrestler uh, in the 95-97 era, Alex Wright. Um, Prince Iakea tries to shake hands but gets slapped instead. So they're for their... Um, um, advancing the storyline of Alex Wright turning heel. Um, and then Iakea fires up on Wright. And as the match is going on, the Giant comes out to a massive pop. Like people were super into the Giant. He interrupts the match. He choke slams the ref. Um, Iakea, Alex Wright runs away. And then he ends up choking, sl- choke slamming a bunch of security guards, and he cuts a promo on being pissed off at the NWO, especially Kevin Nash, and says that he's looking for Nash tonight. So they're building towards the giant 
being upset with the NWO and um, wanting to put his targets on Kevin Nash. So they're building towards a Kevin Nash giant feud. Which is going to last forever, by the way. But we'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, But the segment itself, I thought was honestly entertaining. And um, looking back at it, it's a natural um it's a natural feud for this this giant to want to face off against that giant you know what i mean yeah. mm-hmm. so it's, not an wrong. it's an attraction match it's an attraction match and and nothing wrong with it um and giant choke slam on everybody the fucking crowds into it they're in a giant and um I've said a couple times that Luger and Giant together were pretty boring, but separately they're not bad. And honestly, the crowd's into both guys. So from a business aspect, I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, the next match is Eddie Guerrero versus Chavo Guerrero. Um, the story line with these guys is that Eddie is um, verbally and and mentally abusing his nephew. Um, these two kick off the match quickly, and the fans are really into it. Chavo hits a crazy dive to the floor and um, runs Eddie into the rail. Eddie ends up um, crotching Chavo on the top rope, and Chavo falls to the mat and Eddie um, holds Chavo's head into the camera and says, say hello to grandma. That's what he says. And Chavo later on gets the advantage and try to frog splash, but Eddie got his knees up and then hits his own frog splash. And Eddie Guerrero <clears throat> wins that match and post-match um, Eddie attacks Chavo and then um, Gooker comes out and gets involved. I wrote, I wrote Gooker. Should I clarify? The, go- the, the gobbledygooker? Hector. Yeah. <laughs> but Hector comes out. Every time Hector, I, is it wrong that every time Hector appears, I write Gooker? I don't know why. I, I mean, I know why, but. It's like easier for me to write Gooker. But Eddie attacks Chavo after the match, and Hector Guerrero comes out and gets involved. And then he's like, That's your that's your nephew, you know, and he's trying to he's trying to squabble the, the family feud, and Eddie ends up pushing Gooker on his ass and walking away. So they're telling a good story with Eddie and Chavo. And I'm not even, I'm not even saying that like as a joke, like it's actually one of the more entertaining feuds 
Yeah. Well, and I mean, you can you consider the talent involved, you know, so you're going to have good matches. You're going to have fun promos. Yeah, it's like, I, I, like, like I'm saying, like, I know that within WCW, the NWO was the, the main thing. But some of the more entertaining shit is not even involving the NWO. You know, it's like it's it's the stuff Sullivan was booked because Bischoff, from everything I understand, was booking all the NWO stuff, and then Sully was booking the shit that didn't involve that. You know, right? Just like the shit that's going to happen in the middle of Nitro and on Saturday night and everything like that. And Eddie and Chaba was a was a fun feud, I thought. See anything else on those guys? No, I agree. All right. Well, then Mean Gene interviews uh, DDP and his hot ass wife Kimberly. Um, Paige is asked about Hennig, which, if you remember, um, him and he, he picked Hennig to be his partner, and him and Hennig had a had a um, altercation. At Bash at the Beach, um, Paige says that he met Henning in a bar and they bonded. And he said that his first choice um, was Sting and then Luger and then the Giant. But since they were busy, he chose Kurt Hennig and says that he'll get his revenge. So the seed they're setting. I don't think they established well enough going forward. Um, because I, I've watched a lot of shows because I just, when I get into watching this shit, you know, I just start, I don't know how you are with watching like Cotton Annuity, but I've, I've already gotten, I'm almost done with 97 now to taking my notes but they don't later on establish it enough. But in this promo, basically it's setting up that Kurt Hennig was like the fourth choice for right. the But they, they don't go back on it. And I, I, I think like the beginning of this was really good, but they don't, they, they don't tell a good enough story going forward in it. They don't. They don't. They don't finish it up properly. Yeah. Like when Kurt turned, he should have been like, "That was your fourth fucking choice." Yeah. He's like, "I'm Kurt fucking Hennig." And another good angle they could have done with it was, "How did you feel when you said that the end?" Because it, it's basically the same thing that DDP said. About not wanting to join the NWO. Right. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Where he was like, oh, Nash and Hall, I helped you guys. And then you picked Hogan. Then you picked DBI. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like they, I, I think it was the initial idea and they didn't do good enough with it, in my opinion. Um, then Mean Gene interviews Harlem Heat about their um, upcoming match um, with the Outsiders. Uh, 
But apparently, it's going to be a non-title match. It's just a throwaway promo with Gene and the Harlem Heat. Um, and then we get Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton with Vincent in their corner versus the Steiner brothers. Um, the Wolfpack arrives and are with Conan. The match continues. It's a basic TV tag team match. Nothing special. They suplex the shit out of Norton and Bagwell. They being the Steiner brothers. And this brings out Chono and Muda. And they gang up on the Steiner brothers. But they end up getting... Um, the Steiners end up getting the NWO out of the ring. And the Steiner brothers win via DQ. So it's just a... It's just a hodgepodge of the Steiner brothers, Bagwell, Norton, Muda, and Chono. And they're building towards the Steiner brothers still trying to get their wins to try to get the outsiders and get their tag team titles back. Yeah, it's a good story of them climbing the ladder, you know. And um, I'll never say that they aren't in my like top five favorite tag teams, tag teams of all time. But the older I get, it's like the more those guys hit with me, mm-hmm. like the Steiner should, and they are in it. I was going to say they should be in the Hall of Fame, but they're such a great fucking tag team. And I honestly think they're the best brother tag team of all time. They're definitely a brother tag team of any tag team I've ever seen. Absolutely. And they're definitely, they're definitely like, like you said, I agree. They're top, they're top, they're top five for me. They, uh, they're, they're consistent. And I'll never say that I didn't enjoy big Papa pump, but I don't think they should have ever broke up. No. Like I never believe their feud. Yeah, me neither. It didn't. It didn't have the. It didn't have the. Uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. The Steiner brothers are too equal to have broken up, if that makes sense. Like it yeah. works. It works with Brett and Owen because Owen's kind of the sniveling little punk little brother, and Brett's the classic world heavyweight champion. Anyway, I I, I hope what I'm trying to say makes sense. Yeah, and, and Owen and Brett worked because um, Owen and Brett didn't work together for so long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Owen, Owen, like they never went there. But Owen could have been like, when I came in, you were so embarrassed by me. You put me, you told me I had to wear a mask and be the blue blazer. You know, like they never did that. You know what I mean? Right. But like when Scotty came in, Rick was like, oh, this is my brother. We're going to be partners. Like everything they did together should have been together. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, I agree. I, did, I didn't like that. they. I never liked that they broke them up. Yeah. Um, which that's next year. So we're not going to talk too much about that. Um. 
Well, then, um, after that schmoz, they replay the Raven promo from Badge at the Beach. And then Mean Gene then attempts to interview Raven again. And um, Raven says the only announcement is that there isn't one. Because what they were talking about was um, Raven was going to have a um, Stevie Richards. Sorry, I'm talking all over the place. At Bash at the Beach, Stevie said that there was going to be a big announcement on, on Nitro. And his his man Raven was going to let everybody know. And then Raven says again that the only announcement is that there isn't one. And Gene's like, what's wrong with you? Like He, he, he has no idea what's going on with Raven. And then um, ends up slapping Stevie around again. And that's how this segment ends. It's uh, spinning its wheels at this point. It is. Um, but they are doing a good... They're doing a good job of... Giving Raven... Like, mystery or whatever. But... And... And I think Stevie and Raven had like good chemistry, but in WCW it wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah. Um so then we roll into a just a match, and it's Chris Benoit versus Mike Enos. Um Benoit um cuts a promo and says he's ready to get back into horseman business, basically saying that. Um, he's done fucking around with Kevin Sullivan and he's got woman now and he's basically done with that aspect of his of his career and now he's going to focus on doing whatever he can to support the horseman and he ends up obviously being Mike Enos by submission with the Crippler Crossface and that's how that match ends It those was, guys, those guys always worked good together. Yeah, and it was just, it was just a way of resetting Benoit's career, or story, mm-hmm. of saying like he's got done with, he's got done with Sullivan. It's no more of this, like you know, um, soap opera storyline. He's just going to be back to being the kick-ass member of the group. Um, so it worked. The next match we get is um, actually um, pretty important. And, um, well, not it's not, it's not super important, but um, it's Super Colo versus La Parca with Sonny Ono as the manager. Um, they mentioned the DDP... La Parca switcheroo last week and Kimberly gives um, DDP the diamond cutter um, not the diamond cutter sorry Kimberly gives <clears throat> edit this because I choked I coughed a little bit it's Super Colo versus La Parca with Sonny Ono um, they mentioned the um, cool angle with DDP and La Parca 
that switcheroo. Um, then Savage then attacks Laparka, thinking it's DDP, and then um, DDP attacks Savage from the crowd, and then Kurt Hennig comes out and attacks DDP, and then after Hennig is laid out DDP, Savage ends up climbing up to the top rope and giving DDP the elbow drop. Does that make sense? Yep. It's... I know it's not this episode, but that's like, in my opinion, the coolest thing they ever did. And it's the coolest angle they ever did with the DDP Randy Savage thing, which super ran its course. Was DDP dressing up like the parka? Like, yes, yeah. it's cool. <laughs> um, but it, it it turned into DDP thinking he had the advantage over Savage, and then he ends up he ends up laid out. It's this little segment. I didn't mind where the where the face ended up getting laid out. You know what I mean? Right. Because he still got somewhat of a thing over his last foe and this, that, and it, but it worked. In my it's opinion. like, I, and it did, but it's like I said last week, like they let, they, they let DDP and Savage go too long. It should have been over by now. Yeah. But it's, that w, WCW did that a lot. It's like it's like the NWO. I mean, this is this is. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but to be honest, if when you go back and watch it now, the NWO started well, technically when Scott Hall came in in May of or on Labor Day of '96, but it started. Let's say the the kickoff was when Hogan turns at Bash at the Beach '96. It should have ended at Bash at the Beach 97. The NWO should have been a year-long angle. Yeah. Instead, it went on and on and on and on and on. Hogan versus Sting probably should have been the main event of Bash at the Beach 97. Yeah. But I digress. That's not what happened. So. So then after this, Mean Gene interviews Kurt Hennig. Um, who has not aligned himself with anybody yet. He's still a free agent. Um, Hennig says that he does a lot of... Hennig does some, like, um, shoot, non-shoot shit. Like, like you don't want to talk about, like, the work shoot promos or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those suck. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't mind when a wrestler uses terminology when it doesn't sound fake. And Hennig does a good job here because Mean Gene interviews Hennig and he says, um, um, basically, he says, Paige is the biggest mark in the business and he's the biggest mark for himself. And that gets like a moderate pop. 
but then he talks about Paige's wrestling ability. And then what he says gets a huge pop because he says that he could easily defeat, defeat Paige because Paige can't even last 30 seconds with that hose bag he calls a wife. <laughs> and the crowd pops when he says that. <laughs> but then Ric Flair comes out and dances around and... um. He doesn't say anything, but Flair comes out after he says that hose bag he calls a wife, and they leave together. So they're still planning that that Hennig is an NWO, is in WCW, he's not horseman, but Flair really wants him to be a horseman. So that's what we're going with. Hennig's still a free agent. Um I thought the start of Hennig in WCW is really good and intriguing. But we'll get into it in subsequent episodes. I think it kind of really lost its luster, in my opinion. Yeah, because they screwed it up like they always did with their booking. Yep. We'll get into it later, though. But yeah, definitely. definitely. So after that segment, we go to commercial and after that, the NWO come out, and Nash is in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair, and then he did. He denies being seven foot Sting, which I know that's not what they called him, but that's what I'm calling it. And then he wants help standing up. Um, so the other NWO members help him stand up to welcome Conan to the NWO who is now branded K-Dog, and they mention that the Giant had to be escorted out of the arena because he was, like, breaking all kinds of restraining orders and this, that, and everything. Um, And then the Wolfpack heads to the arena for their match against Harlem Heat. And then we roll into a street fight. Um... Between Harlem Heat and Scott Hall, or Harlem Heat versus Scott Hall and Six Pac, um, Six and Booker T start the match. Um, Booker's basically wor- working the whole match. Um, um, Stevie does end up. Stevie does end up getting involved, taking Six to the floor. Um, Nash is taken out for a little bit. Um, and then he ends up after Nash gets knocked out to the ring. Um, excuse me. Sorry, I coughed. Nash was at ringside in the wheelchair. I should preface that. I didn't preface that. Basically, Nash is like doing the um he's doing the Ron Wright. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just for this night. He's pretending to be in the wheelchair. Now I'm all crippled up. I can't do whatever. The only and, difference is the only difference is he doesn't have a blanket. Oh, he did have a blanket. Oh, he did have a blanket. Yeah, you had a blanket. Anytime you're in a wheelchair, you need a blanket. Which I don't understand. Like, if your legs don't work, how are they cold? 
<laughs> but anyway, um, Nash was at ringside while Hall and Six were fighting the outside or fighting the Hall the the Hall of Heat, the Harlem Heat. Um, um, so during the match, Nash gets up and decks Booker T, allowing Scott Hall to get the Outsider's Edge and defeating the Harlem Heat. So the winners of the match are Six Pack and Scott Hall, and that's how the match ended. I really clusterfucked that match. I'm sorry. Um, the wrong had... team. The wrong team went over. Yeah, Harlem Heat should have probably won uh, the, for a, for a number of reasons. First of all, it it was a quote. They it was a non-title match. Secondly, the fuckery with with the NWO. You know, you could have. You could have had, um, I don't know, the way to do it maybe would have been, all right, Kevin Nash is faking injury because we know he's faking it. Kevin Nash is faking injury. Then Harlow, he beats, somehow beats Six and Scott Hall, and then Kevin Nash miraculously gets out of his wheelchair because, you know, you know what I'm saying? But anyway. Yeah, like. I, I know what you're saying. Like a cool way would have would have been doing it, or a cool way of doing it, because what they were doing was like Nash was saying that he was hurt, so they couldn't defend the belts, right? Know? So he was allowing Pac to take his place, and it would have been cool to have like Stevie or Book. Pin six, you know, and like do kind of like the dusty deal. We're like, oh, we're the tag champs, you know, and right? Like, and then, like, next week, let fucking Bischoff to like big dick him or whatever and be like, oh, you guys aren't the champs because you didn't pin him, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I get what you're saying. That would have been cooler. You should have been booking WCW 97. Um, the next match is ridiculous. Because guess what it is? I don't know. What is it? It's the Great Muda and Masa Chono versus the Public Enemy. Oh, Filet Mignon versus Baloney. All right. Yes. Um... I will say this though, um, when it was the match was short, but um, when Rocco and Muda were in the ring, it wasn't half bad. Yeah, and you know we've said it on Reliving the Extreme sometimes too. The Harlem Heat, we like to shit on the Harlem Heat because it was goofy, and especially outside of ECW, it didn't Public work. Enemy, not Harlem Heat. I'm sorry, but Public Enemy. Okay. It didn't work. It didn't work outside of ECW. But I will never. And Johnny Grunge was was not a great pro wrestler. But I'll never take anything away from Ted Petty as a fucking wrestler. The guy was really good. Yeah, he lit it up with Moot. He he lit it up with Moot a little bit here. But this this um, gimmick this gimmick was stupid outside of ECW. Yeah. But anyway. 
Um, but like I said, Rocco and Muda, they do good together. And Muda ends up misting Johnny Grunge. And then Chono hits him with his mafia kick. Like he gets missed and then he gets kicked right in his fucking fat head. And the winners are Great Muda and Masa Chono, which should have been the way it ended. Um, and then we get a commercial for a Dennis Rodman NWO shirt. Uh, and then um, we roll into our next match, which is our main event. It's Jeff Jarrett with Queen Deborah versus Ric Flair. Um, it's what you would expect. It's a uh, it's Ric Flair Jeff Jarrett match. Um, Flair did the flip over the turnbuckle spot and then Jared drop kicked him. And then um, Jared ends up getting a superplex on flair. Um, excuse me. Later on in the match, flair ends up tuning up Jeff Jarrett in the corner and Jarrett um, bumps down to the mat and Ric Flair you know that that spot where Flair would look out of the crowd and like put his one arm against his head or against his neck and then yeah. His, yeah, yeah. his waist and hump? Well, he does that towards Deborah. <laughs> so he basically says, oh, I knocked your guy out. Now I'm going to fuck you. Um, you know, it's funny. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, like, uh, <laughs> In hindsight, hindsight being twenty twenty, you look at Ric Flair's gimmick. Like in the reality of the situation, Ric Flair's a disgusting human being. Oh, he's, he's the worst. <laughs> he's he's like he's he's rapey. He's <laughs> he is the worst. But he's just great. I know. I'm just saying, like, it's it's just funny to, like, look back on it now. It's like, we were all like, woo! And all, and it's like, oh, look at this disgusting, lecherous man, this gross man, that <laughs> if he was near you, he was, if he was near my daughter, I'd knock his teeth out. <laughs> You're gross. And then, honestly, um, saying that when you get into um real shit coming out you know what i mean like yeah like shoot interviews and documentaries and we're just going to let the honest shit come out and where they talk about like oh the best wrestlers were the wrestlers that um amplified their character by 10 Mm-hmm. When you look at that, it's like, guess what? He actually is kind of a disgusting human being. <laughs> and, and you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. oh, this guy like whipped his dick out way more than what he should have in real life. Like, and I'm a Ric Flair fan. He's in my top 
three or four favorite wrestlers and personalities of all time, but he, he was gross. Yeah, neglected his children. And and not even that, just the shit that he's admitted to. It's like you're admitting to it. <laughs> you are disgusting. Um do you have anything else on the disgusting Ric Flair before we go no. to the rest no. of <laughs> matches? There's only this, this is the only match, and then um after we're done with Nitro, if you don't mind, we'll take a break and I can smoke a cigarette. Is that all okay. right? Yep. Because I don't smoke in my house. Um but Jarrett and Flair are having their match. Um and there's a weird spot in this match where um they cut away from the match and they do like a shot of Deborah where she's cutting a promo and the match is happening behind her and um she's just going on and on and on about Mongo until Mongo ends up coming out and confronting Deborah and then um Mongo ends up attacking Jeff Jarrett causing the disqualification and then Mongo and Flair beat his ass until Jarrett runs away. So that's how the match ended. Was what it was. That's that. That's that. And then Mean Gene introduces Lex Luger to the crowd. Um, and then Lex Luger discusses um, um, Bash at the Beach and then challenges Hollywood Hogan to face him at Road Wild. And then the NWO come out and surround Luger. Um, Then, as Luger is surrounded, a sting with a bushy wig comes out. It's a big bushy wig. Okay, it's 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 ridiculous. And the NWO is like, oh, it's a bushy wig sting. We're not worried about this. Um, but guess what? It's Sting! It's real Sting! Which doesn't make any sense. And he faked him out. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense because if they were going to send out a real or fake Sting, they would know that they were sending out a fake Sting, wouldn't they? Yeah, but maybe, maybe, maybe bushy wigged fake Sting. Got beat up by real Sting, and then he put. Well, it sure, it sure would have been nice if they would have added that caveat, wouldn't it? Well, every fake Sting has a bushy wig. <laughs> so the NWO thought one of their fake Stings was going into business for himself. <laughs> well, real Sting put on the bushy wig. <laughs> but either way, yeah. The show ends with Real Sting and all of the NWO running away. Because it's not Bushy Wing Sting. 
<laughs> bushy. It's a bushy wing sting. <laughs> bushy wigged sting. So that's how the show ends. The end of... I do like the fact... Like I said, we're, we'll take a break after this. But I do like the fact that when... Like, the only thing that Eric Bischoff did right with the NWO, and the ending wasn't great when when we get to Starcade. But the best thing they, the best thing and the only thing they did great with it was all of those guys just being petrified of Sting. Yeah. I think it's fucking great shit. In my opinion. Like it, it's, it's, it's like we're going to get into later, which it's much later, but it's like whenever, um, um, Hunter and Sean would confront the undertaker and knock him down. They'd be like, yeah, we knocked him down. But the minute he sat up, I just, Oh fuck, we got to get away. Yeah. <laughs> it's shit. So if you're good, all right. So we've ended Nitro. So um, those of you that would watch Nitro live and tape raw, we're now going to put the VHS tape in and we're going to hit play and we're going to watch the WWF Raw is War from July 14th, 1997. We're in San Antonio, Texas. A uh, video is shown of the Hearts in Canada and showing their fanfare when they were there for the Canadian Stampede and Vince McMahon narrating that it'll be a different night tonight um, for the Hearts because they're in Texas. And then Vince McMahon interviews the Heart Foundation to start the show. Um Bret Hart talks shit about Texas and said we good mm-hmm. alright Vince McMahon interviews the Hart Foundation and um, Brett talks um, shit about Texas and then says um, that Texas, Texas is full of rats and Hart mentions that him saying coming up at um um, at SummerSlam, if you remember, he mentioned that if he didn't beat um, Taker for the belt, that he'd never wrestle in America again. Remember that? Correct. He says that he was he was just he was just talking shit, like he didn't mean it. But Gorilla Monsoon um, took him at his word and put that in the put that in the contract. Um, then Vince interviews Owen Hart next about Steve Austin and um, says that if um, Owen talks about Austin and says that Austin will have to kick his kiss his ass if he can't win because Austin mentioned that and then Bulldog says that if he if he loses the Ken Shamrock at SummerSlam, he'll eat dog food. And then Pillman cuts a promo 
um, about Gold Dust because they're going to have a match. And um, Pillman's promo is actually pretty interesting because he gets a promo about um, saying that. Um, if he loses, he'll he'll um, he'll wear a dress, okay. And while why Pillman's promo is interesting is guess who he he's not he he's he talks about Dustin, okay. But it's it's funny what he says. He brings up Dusty, okay. Mm-hmm. Talking about Dustin, and do you remember this promo? If you don't, it's fine. Not, not specifically, no. But Pillman brings up Dusty and says that he really likes Dusty's style of abuse and neglect, <laughs> and feeding his own ego and his fat face. And stating that Dusty feeding his own ego and his fat face has turned his son into a drag queen. (laughs) And says that if he can't beat Dusty's drag queen son, he'll wrestle in a dress. And then uh, Jim Neidhart, which I'm just going to tell you guys, nothing comes out of this. Anvil doesn't have a match at the upcoming Summer SummerSlam, but says if any of the Hart Foundation loses a SummerSlam, he'll shave off his goatee. Nothing he doesn't. Comes. He doesn't. So what we're rolling into with SummerSlam is if Brett can't beat Taker for the title, he'll no longer wrestle in the United States. Um, if Owen... Um, can't be Austin or Austin can't be Owen. They'll kiss each other's asses. If Bulldog um, loses, he'll eat dog food. And if Brian Pillman can't be gold dust, he'll wear a dress. So that's how that happens. Um, does that make sense? Yep. Yep. And then Jeff Farmer, yep. Um, Steve Austin then interrupts and talks shit from the stage. Um, Ken Shamrock comes out to stand next to um, Steve Austin, and so does the Patriot. And then Sid Vicious reappears, and then Shawn Michaels comes out and... um, they speculate who will be Austin's um, tag team partner tonight because um, oh shoot, sorry. Because we're going to have a tag team title match with um, Steve Austin defending against Owen and Bulldog later on. So they're setting up Steve Austin defending his tag team titles 
against Owen and Bulldog and is his tech or his yeah which one of his tag team partners is gonna is it gonna be Ken Shamrock, the Patriot, Sid Vicious, or Shawn Michaels? And of note here is this is actually how they debuted the Patriot. Yes. They didn't they, there was no like he just showed up. Like he just dude just showed up. He's like, hey, I'm here, y'all. I'm Dale Wilkes. Dale nice Wilkes. to see you. Nice to see you. Damn nice to meet you. I feel like he was that guy. Probably. Damn nice to meet you. It's a nice mower you got there. Damn nice to meet you. <laughs> um so the opening match is um Jerry the King Lawler and Brian Christopher um versus the Pussy family. Scott and Ivan Pussy. Um, Ivan, uh, if you're, that's a joke. If you guys don't know, during um, one of our We Can't Wrestle podcast shows of the PWI 500, um, Nate incorrectly, um, named Ivan, Ivan Pussy. But anyway, it's Jerry Lawler and Brian Christopher versus Scott and Ivan Putsky. Um, Putsky comes out um, and sings Melody of Love, which makes sense because he was over in Texas. And then as he's singing Melody of Love, Lawler and Christopher attack him from behind. Um Jerry Lawler ends up getting a pile driver, but Christopher wants to tag in and Lawler obviously tags his son in, which we don't know is his son at this. Well, we know it's his son, but we don't know is his son at this point. And he missed that's not my dad. That's not my dad. Anyway. Yeah. Um, he misses the leg drop, um, and as the match goes on, Brian Christopher ends up kicking Jerry Lawler by mistake. Then Ivan tags in and gets the Polish hammer on Jerry Lawler, and one, two, three, the Polish hammer, Ivan Putski beats Jerry Lawler, and the Putski family wins. So it was two dads going, we don't either want, we, like, Knowing, hey, either one of our kids could get over, so we'll just let the one old guy pin the old guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the right the right team went over. It was good to put, you know, it's San Antonio put put old Ivan over. You know, I mean, say what you will about his in ring ability, but in his time. His time was the 1970s and the WWF or Texas or whatever. He didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like I can give, I can give, I can give him credit for the fact that he had charisma. He was over. Yeah, I'm not gonna knock Ivan. That dude had charisma. I'm not gonna sit down and watch a bunch of Ivan Putski matches, but I can recognize why he was over in the time he was over. Yeah, and and and. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, shit, I'm not going to sit down and watch a bunch of Luthez matches, uh, you know? Yeah, but and I'm not even saying that. Like, 
how do I say it? Like bell to bell. Probably not something I want to watch because that's not the wrestling style that I want to watch. But his charisma, mm-hmm. it, it's good shit. It, there's no difference between him doing the singing like the melody of love, melody of my love song, you know, that he did. Mm-hmm. There's no difference between that and road dog spiel. Right. It's all crowd work. Mm-hmm. It's just different. It's just a different time. You know what I mean? It's no different. Him doing Melody of Love is no different than Scott Hall going, did you come to see WCW or the NWO? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just a different era. So not knocking, not knocking Ivan Pussy. Good talent. I'm just saying. Um, then we get a recap of the Austin Mankind problems from last week. Didn't mean to jump you unless you had anything else to say on Putsky. Nope, we're good. And so we get a recap. Like I said, we get a recap of Austin, the Austin Mankind problems from last week. And that was Mankind wanting to be Austin's partner. And Austin doesn't want anything to do with him. And then Paul Bearer cuts a promo um, about Kane and that The Undertaker should fear Kane and says he's got proof next week that Kane is still alive. So Bearer is still putting on that thing against The Undertaker, basically saying Kane's alive and everything Undertaker has said is a lie and this, that, and the other thing. So, that's how that is. And then... The next thing we get is Takamichinoku, who, obviously, at this point, WWF realized this is the guy we want to sign, is facing... Did you watch the show, Nate? If you didn't, it's fine. I mean, I've seen the show. I know this is. I think this is the show where he wrestles Kajiri. Yep. Yeah. I just meant in general. Did you watch the show before we did this? If you didn't, not before we did this, no. But I've probably seen it a hundred times. So yes, this is the WWF debut of Taijiri. Taijiri. I think. Don't they actually call him Tajiri Yoshihiro? That is exactly what they call him. Yeah. And um, it's it's not the longest match in the world, but it is fantastic. And I think they had the right idea. How do I say it? Like, Vince didn't want to like 100% compete with Bischoff and let Bischoff um, dictate how he was going to run his program. You know what I mean? Right. 
but WCW was doing the cruiserweight division, and that's why Vince brought in the lightweight division. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But he should have stuck with guys like this. Mm-hmm. Instead of going, oh, we're going to have a lightweight match, and um, and I'm not knocking the guy or any of the people involved, but, oh, we're going to have this, this lightweight match, and here's fucking um, Ace Darling or whoever he brought into it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It, it should have been with guys like this. And let Brian be the bigger guy. Because you got to have like the bigger, bulkier guy in it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Bischoff did that good with Dean, you know? Yeah. Like Dean wasn't the high flyer in it. He was the ground and pound guy. Like let Brian be that guy, but um, accentuate people like Tajiri and Taka wrestling each other and El Pantera and, and Agula. But he went with more of the the junior heavyweight type thing of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're when I met when I met don't not, don't knock the guy. Like his lightweight tournament had Bobby Fulton in it. Right. I'm not knocking Bobby Fulton. Bobby Fulton's fan. <laughs> you almost I almost made a fucking Stupid slip there. I was like, oh, Bobby Fulton was fantastic. Well, obviously. And and they brought Tommy Rogers in, which was cool, was seeing Tommy Rogers on Raw, you know. But I I think it would have been better if he would have just – and I think it would have had more longevity if he would have just went with more guys like this. Yeah. And given him more time. But Tajiri – Faces Takamichinoku. Um, Takamichinoku ends up hitting a big dive onto Tajiri on the outside. Um, it's going back and forth. Taka hits his, um, he has a dragon moonsault on Tajiri, and then Taka ends up hitting the Michinoku driver number two on Tajiri to win the match. And it was quick. And sudden, but entertaining. And not something that at the time you normally saw in the WWF. So it was right. it was entertaining. Um, then we get an interview with Ken Shamrock, who, if you remember, came out and stood on the stage with Steve Austin. And he says that he is not Stone Cold Steve Austin's partner tonight because he's going to be facing Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Um, and then they show footage of the Los Periquas showing up in their low rider with a bunch of BMWs, which is big Mexican women. Um, then we roll into a tag team... <laughs> Before we roll into that, what's your thought on the? You got any thoughts on the Los Periquas? Los Periquas? No, say. nothing. I haven't already said. Okay. Um. So we roll into a match between the Headbangers and the Los Periquas, and they're going to be represented by Miguel and Jesus. Um. 
And during the match, there's not a lot of, there's no notes on this match. Sorry. Um, Miguel reverses a power bomb into a roll up and Miguel and Jesus win. And then post match, um, the disciples of apocalypse attack the Bariquas. That's how that happened. All right. Yeah. At this point, at this point, this is the most boring shit in the company. So there's nothing really to discuss about it. And I mean, I'm not even shitting on any of the guys. And I don't, it's just, it's boring. Yeah. And it's, um, I'm, I don't want to say that I'm a hundred percent sure, but I think this is the first, um, Russo effect on the company. Yeah, the gang warfare thing. And I don't even think it's... Uh, I think it was because it was a race-based thing. Mm-hmm. And that dude always went to race, and I hated that. Um, like I said, this isn't even a thing to bitch about Russo. But um, the next thing we get after that is Patriot. the Patriot cuts a promo backstage and um, says that he is not Stone Cold Steve Austin's partner tonight. He just came out to support America earlier, I guess the um, Heart Foundation, and, and says that um, he has no problem with Bret Hart and the found and the Heart, excuse me, and the Heart Foundation. Um, showing their patriotism towards Canada, but he has a problem with them hating on America. So that's basically his gimmick now, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And then Vince McMahon introduces Shawn Michaels to the crowd. Um, and Vince McMahon then starts interviewing HBK. HBK says he's not 100%, but is good enough to go. And sets this up to Steve Austin, though, to be his partner. And then he brings up um, the Bret Hart clause. But, um, and the Bret Hart clause being that if Bret can't beat The Undertaker at SummerSlam, he'll no longer be able to wrestle in the United States. But isn't at SummerSlam and then... um, basically gets on his knees and begs Vince to give him a ticket and he hasn't announced it yet, but there's some shit coming. So if, if that makes sense, guys, basically what we've been told is that Ken Shamrock isn't going to be Steve's partner. The Patriot isn't going to be Steve's partner. And Sean is 100% cleared to wrestle, but he wants to appear at SummerSlam and is asking Vince for a ticket. So it's um, not yet figured out who's going to be Steve's partner going to this tag team match later on tonight. And Sid was just there for some fucking reason. Yeah, he's he's at this point he's off to the softball game. 
Well, I'm just saying, like, he came out, but it's like, what? They never even gave him a promo, but it doesn't matter. Um, now, the war zone begins, and as the war zone begins, Savio Vega comes out yelling about a terrible accident and drags the cameraman to the back. Um, they go through the locker room, and they wound up outside. And the terrible accident is Los Periquas, um destroying the DOA's motorcycles and then dragging one behind their low rider. And the DOA come out and see all that's happening. And then the factions brawl. Yeah, move on. This is boring. <laughs> Lawler checks in on play-by-play. And then <laughs> we get... <laughs> My show is boring, or this? Anime? No, that's the DOA. The DO. You know, you got the Jarrett Mongo rule. Yeah, I got the DOA Los Bariquas NOD rule. All right. <laughs> the funny thing about the funny thing about Los Bariquas, though, was when they first started, they had four theme songs. <laughs> yeah. Before they figured out, it's like, let's just have them fucking wrap it as they walk to the ring. But the next match is the match Shamrock talked about. It's Ken Shamrock um, versus Jim Neidhart. There's not a lot of notes on the match. Um, it's basically Shamrock, like, knuckling up with Neidhart and getting the better of him. And then um, Shamrock ends up winning the match. And then post-match, Bulldog attacks um, Shamrock until Patriot comes out and makes a save. So they're establishing the Patriot as being an ally to anybody that's Against the Heart Foundation. That's the story of that. Mm-hmm. And then next we get the new Blackjacks, which anytime you put the new in front of anything, it's not going to work. Um, against the Legion of Doom. And then before the match could even start, the Godwins attack. Um, the LOD on the ramp and they end up um, slopping the LOD and then giving um, Hawk the slot drop on the stage busting his busting the back of his head open so and as as a side note, just and, and again, I, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of the team. I'm a fan of both guys. I, I like them as a team a lot. But I want to say this: the summer and fall of '97 is my favorite version of the Godwins. Yeah, when they were just they first of all they want their they want they actually in the feud they're the baby faces, but. That's beside the point. They want the revenge against the LOD for breaking Henry's neck. They've 
they've pretty much gone. I mean, the word isn't medieval, but you know what I mean? Like they, they are these two, you know, fun loving rednecks, but now they're fucking pissed. And yeah, this is the best. This is the best they ever were. This was the best, the best version of the Godwins. And I think they should have done more with them. I agree. I think, I think, I think, I think Henry's Henry's neck started giving out on him. You know, as, yeah. obviously, because fucking LOD broke it. But yeah. You know, I mean, I that's why they that's why they did the Southern Justice thing with him because they were they still wanted him to be on TV, but Henry couldn't really work long matches anymore, so they kind of paired him up with Jarrett to be his bodyguards or whatever. That's a year down the line, but you know they, what I'm saying. They took care of him, but I'm not a worker, and this would probably be a better question for Chad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But. When you say LOD broke his neck, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying whatever. Yeah, I know. I know what you're going to say. The expression expression broken neck is exaggerated in pro wrestling. Well, I'm not even saying that. What I'm saying is, storyline-wise, it makes sense that, oh, LOD broke this guy's neck. And... I've never heard of Mark Cattenberry saying like, you know, LOD was sloppy or whatever. No, no, it's totally an accident. Shit happens. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is like <laughs> I don't think in that move it's the guy giving it. I think it's the guy taking it. Mhm. You know what I mean? Because Hawk's just up here hitting you. It's like, it's up to you how you fall. Right. So, uh, any, anyway, I, I, I'm not getting, I'm, I may getting, I might be getting lost in the minutia of it or whatever. But the storyline, I think, was great. And I actually like the LOD and the Godwin feud. Same. Even though I think LOD. Both teams were underutilized at this time. Their feud was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've we've extended that feud longer, which I'm fine with. And then the next match we get um, is Vader. I totally wrote this down, like like WCW writing, but. It's I wrote Two Cold Scorpio versus Big Van Vader, which is actually Flash Funk versus Vader. Um, and these two were having a really good match, which why wouldn't they? Um, and then Vader ends up um catching Flash Funk with a power bomb, and that's how the match ends. And Vader, after the match, gives uh, Funk the Vader bomb. And it was basically keeping Vader on the show. And just, it, it was a squash match in the in the middle of all this shit. Right. And 
obviously these two are going to work well together because Vader um, was pretty integral in getting Scorp into the business and it's yep. two great workers. They're buddies and good workers and you're going to have a good match. Yep. And afterwards they probably smoked a bowl. It's time. <laughs> it's time. And then Steve Austin cuts a promo about not caring who is involved in his um sorry, not not caring who his tag team partner is, doesn't even want one, doesn't give a shit, and then he'll just wrestle Bulldog and Owen and walk out as a tag team champion. So Austin's basically saying he can defend the titles himself. And then we roll into our main event, which is one of my favorite main events ever. It's the British Bulldog and Owen Hart versus Steve Austin and question mark for the WWF tag team championships. Um, Austin jump starts the match with no tag team partner. Um, Austin is handling himself for the first few, but ends up getting knocked down. And Owen and Bulldog end up double teaming Steve. And then they're questioning who's going to be Steve Austin's partner. He can't, he can't defend a bit against both Owen and Bulldog. And right before we go to commercial break, Nate, guess what we see? We see a pair of white boots. We see a pair of white boots. With some boogie-woogie music. With some boogie-woogie music. And oh my goodness, is it is it is it Jimmy Valiant? God, I hope not. So does Steve. <laughs> so we go to commercial, and when we come back. Bulldog and Owen continue to double up on Austin. Austin knocks Owen and Bulldog out of the ring. And then we get the debut of a tie-dyed bandanaed Mick Foley who is proclaiming himself to be Dude Love on the screen and then he boogies down to the ring and Steve Austin is like, what the fuck is going on? And Austin ends up hitting the stunner on Davey and then the dude pins Bulldog. So the winners of the match are Dude Love and Steve Austin, the new tag team champions and Austin is still perplexed, but ends up handing dude one of the tag team championships. And then post-match, a bunch of ladies um, jump into the ring and grope dude. And Austin gives his sign of approval to dude love once again. And that's how the show ends. So you're new. Your new WWF Tag Team Champions are Stone Cold Steve Austin and Dude Love. 
and I have a bit to say on this. That's fine, because I didn't probably not explain it well enough. First of all, um, I want I want to I want to say the beauty of this. There are two there are two things I want to say. First of all, is the beauty of this is, and I think it's something that gets what I was not ignored, but not mentioned enough is in reality Mick Foley is a hardcore badass, right? Yeah. And for weeks Steve Austin's been running him down and no, I don't want mankind to you're my beer pathetic and blah blah blah. And everybody's scared of Steve Austin because he's this badass son of a bitch. The beauty of this is that Mick has channeled the goofiest of his imp- of his uh, persons the goofiest of his incarnations, but he's still a badass, and here's why. Because in the face of Stone Cold Steve Austin, he's willing to call him Steve-O, okay? Like, I'm not scared of you. I'm not scared of your bullying. I want to be your partner, and you're going to accept it, Steve-O. So there's the first thing. Secondly, and I'm going to go on a limb and say a big statement. I wasn't alive in 1972, so I don't want to talk about Bruno San Martino. From my perspective, and all the wrestling that I've watched, the debut of Dude Love on Monday Night Raw is one of the top ten moments in WWF history. Oh yeah, no lie. And 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 we're gonna get to it later, but he has another debut. That I'd put in the in the top fifteen. Yeah, yeah, and the, it's good fucking TV. Yeah, and what you were saying, like where, like he was like Steve's like this badass guy, you know, and and he he didn't like mankind, and he didn't like Mick and all that, you know. But it's kind of like. He's the dude meister. You know what I mean? And it, it was like Austin's character was just like this fucking guy's ridiculous. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Like I can't beat this guy up. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah, like it, it's it's a it's a great moment for Mick and it's a great moment for Steve because it's finally Steve <laughs> pretty much accepting someone like all right i he he is he is respecting mcfoley's perseverance <laughs> like jesus christ yeah. i can't get rid of this son of a bitch I so i might be able to accept this it. guy i can't get rid of this guy so he's decided to be this fucking goofball like when you brought up bruno san martino you know what i thought you were gonna say what I thought you were gonna say this would be like the equivalent of like Bruno San Martino being out there, and I know I knocked the guy a lot, but I thought you were gonna be like, this would be like the equivalent of Bruno San Martino being out there, not having a tag team partner, and fucking Boogie Boogie Man shows up. And I mean, it really is. Like, I guess I gotta deal with this because <laughs> he fucking won't match. Let me tell you. Yeah, like that. That's how I looked at it. Was with the Austin dude love thing, it's like most guys just won the fucking match. 
So, all right. Like, I guess this guy's my partner now. <laughs> but I loved this shit. I loved the white boots and the boom, 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 boom. As he, like the boogie music and all that. Like, and if, if there's anybody out there, and there might be, because, you know, there are, the, let's just face it, we're old now. I mean, literally, I work with kids now that weren't alive when 9-11 happened, so we are old. If there's somebody that hasn't seen it, go watch um, Beyond the Mat, because watching Vince produce the Dude Love debut is fascinating. Yeah. Can you see the cable? Can you see it? You know, and all that shit. It's like, um, I love both promotions. Okay, I love WCW, love WWF, but ninety-seven is. It's an evolution of both companies, you know, like where one is getting better, like both of them are getting better, but they're both changing what they're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I almost, I almost part ways with you on that, but I, I, cause I think, I think by, again, like kind of what I was talking about earlier with the, the NWO storyline to me at this point, WCW, and I'm not saying in no way, shape or form. And I'm, am I not saying that it wasn't good because it's better than anything that's on today. But at this point to me in 97, WCW is reaching stagnant point. Yeah. They, they, they had the, the, their Monday night war hot period is to me, a little exaggerated at this point. They, like, I don't know. They just, they had like, a, for me, they had a year where they were better. I wasn't saying they were better. I was just saying that it was, both companies were changing. Yeah. And, and what I was seeing with both of them looking now was right around this point, if I remember the timeline timeline of the behind the stage or behind the yeah behind the scenes shit is this is right around possibly the time where Bischoff was like nobody's putting butts in the seats. Except for Hogan, Piper, and Savage. Pretty close. We're pretty close to that point. And that is when he hit the wall. And Vince is like, I got... I shouldn't even say Vince. Jim Ross is in Vince's ear saying we got Steve Austin... We got Mick. He's a multi-faceted performer. We got Taker. We got this guy. We got that guy. You know what I mean? Like Bischoff almost became Vince at this point. Yeah. Where I can only go with the guys that I know. And these are the guys that 
make me money. And Vince was over here being like, I got nobody that makes me money. And Jim Ross was like, you got this guy, you got that guy, you got this guy, you got that guy. It, it's all about potential. Yeah. We're super rolling into um, the shit flipping. We're going to get there. Yeah. And I, I don't want to cut your show off, but my phone's about to die, so we should probably wrap it up. That's okay. Well, like I said, um, both of these shows were okay. Um, and this week, I think WWF obviously beat WCW in significance and um, storyline. Like I said, both shows were good. And I want to thank you guys for listening. And um, I appreciate it. Nate, I want to thank you for listening along my babble through all of this and um next week we'll be discussing obviously the next week's wwf raw is war and wcw nitro and if you're not listening to any of the other shows you should be especially listen to the we can't wrestle podcast and relive in the extreme with myself nate and uh chan austin Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. And good night.